Hey guys, what's going on? Welcome to a brand new edition of the San Basel Podcast on the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. And right now I'm going to be bringing you the latest and greatest going on around the world of Hollywood. Hope everyone had a wonderful weekend. Some things that I want to get into that happened around the world. I'm going to get into the first reactions to the Netflix film Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. I'm also going to talk about a specific MCU character that is seemingly confirmed to be in the next Thor film. Lilo and Stitch, the live action film adaptation, apparently has a director, and I'm also going to be reviewing the latest television show from Netflix, Dash and Lily. I got to check it out this weekend. I'm going to give my review on what I thought about it and a whole lot more, but the first thing that I do want to talk about today to kick off the week is some more information regarding the now famous production that is going on with Zack Snyder's version of Justice League, and really ever since this became confirmed in May, this has kind of been one of the big storylines moving forward within the realm of comic book movies, comic book adaptations, and a lot of people didn't know if this was really going to happen, and then of course we got the DC Fandom trailer that came out, and then over the last few months we've gotten new details coming in, specifically that Zack Snyder is going to be shooting some additional photography, getting some pickup shots with the likes of Ben Affleck, Amber Heard, Ray Fisher's coming back in, Gal Gadot, and surprisingly also getting some new stuff with Jared Little Joker and Joe Manganiello's Deathstroke in which he was supposed to set up to be one of the villains in what was supposed to be Ben Affleck's film The Batman until that was kind of all scrapped a few years ago but it's kind of coming back in this new version of Justice League that's being set up to be on HBO Max a four episode miniseries and he was in an interview on Friday talking about some of the details regarding his new version, or rather his version of Justice League. And with everything kind of going on with this new footage, myself and a lot of people were speculating, is it 30 new minutes? Is it new scenes? What could it possibly be? And according to Zack Snyder, the new footage that he shot is only going to consist of about four to five minutes of new material that will be inserted into the actual show or miniseries, as if you want to call it it, which kind of confirms the fact that if anything, these shots were probably maybe some new scenes for the episode or some things that made it act like a miniseries instead of being a four-hour film, which Zack Snyder did say he intended to also put out there for people that wanted to watch it uninterrupted like a movie instead of a miniseries, that option would be out there as well. But to kind of, I think, bookend each chapter, instead of it maybe abruptly ending at one point and beginning at another, there's kind of this seamless transition from one episode to the next. So that is probably the possibility, if I had to guess, for what these pickup shots were. And then he also went into talking about Jared Leto's Joker and what role he plays in this new version. And apparently, Joker was not intended to be a part of the original version that Zack Snyder shot back in 2016-2017 before he left the project. So basically, this seamlessly confirms that also this is going to be additional stuff that Zack Snyder put in. That this isn't all just from his inception when he did it 
years ago. This is something that he probably was thinking about as time went on. And now that he has kind of carpe blanche to do whatever he wants with this project, he wants to add in these new elements. And, and there's no reason for him not to. Who am I to say that Zack Snyder should not be allowed to put in new stuff? If he has this platform, he should be able to do that. And talking about the Joker being one of those new additions, he kind of talked about how this Joker is going to be a somewhat different type of Joker, a different look than a different feel than what we got in the 2016 film of Suicide Squad that was directed by David Ayer. And this is what he had to say about it. I wanted to, of course, you know, honor what I've been created with him because I thought it was pretty cool. Some water has gone under the proverbial bridge between when we last saw Joker and this appearance. So yeah, he's made some, he's a road-weary Joker. And when I hear that, it kind of sounds like a Mad Max sensibility. And when I hear Zack Snyder talk about this, this makes me think that this could either be a flashback that pertains to some plot connections to this whole Robin scenario in which in Batman v Superman, if you recall, there was a shot where Batman seems like he's getting ready for this party. He's down in the Batcave. He looks up and it kind of in a shrine, in a kind of a memorial, there is a Robin suit that has graffiti on it that says the joke's on you, implying that they kind of adapted the Red Hood kind of storyline where the Joker kills one of Batman's Robins. And maybe that is what we're going to get in this new Justice League film. Or another option that we can get is that the Joker appears in what has been confirmed to be a few more nightmare sequences that we got likened to what happened in BVS where we got that one in which Batman is trying to somehow defeat Superman well into the future and Darkseid is on Earth and really kind of everything is leading up to those sequences and it seems like we're going to get more of those in this edition of Justice League so maybe the Joker and Batman team up in this post-apocalyptic world and that to me sounds like what this could be pertaining to if you also remember in the dc fandom trailer that came out one of the shots is pertaining to that nightmare scenario that is playing out and you see floating in the wind if you if you pause it and you check it out it's only there for a split frame before it leaves is there's a, a burnt joker card that flies in the wind so if you connect the two dots that could potentially mean that joker appears in those nightmare sequences giving i think a little bit more credence in what Zack Snyder is saying that there's going to be a more road-weary kind of Joker. Because if it, if it was in modern day, I don't think it necessarily fits within the story that they're telling with the Justice League. It feels like something that would just completely be out of place. So I, it would make sense for him to be in, in an alternate state or, or, or in ver- a, a future version of these events playing out, specifically in the future with these nightmare sequences. So I think that's where Joker really is going to take into into effect and into play in this new version of JL. And then speaking of Batman, Zack Snyder also talked about Ben Affleck returning to play the Dark Knight and specifically returning on putting on the, the cowl and the cape and the suit. And it was pretty funny when he joked about saying with a lot of the costumes, they really kind of had to go about and finding them again because apparently they're all in these different museums and archives. And instead of making them again, they just kind of pulled them back and just had the guy, the, the people, the actors wear the costumes once again instead of remaking everything. And one of the jokes that 
that Zack Snyder said that they had to do with Ben Affleck is that maybe his head was too small this time around or he just hasn't been in the suit for a long time. They decided that when he put on the cowl, it kind of ripped in half basically. So it, I guess there needed to be a, another fitting or two for Ben Affleck again. But it sounds like Ben Affleck had a good time with this. And again, it was sounding from what the pickup shots were, the additional photography, doesn't sound like it was a whole lot of new scenes. So it sounded like it was a few days and then that's pretty much it. But the fact that Ben Affleck is back as Batman is, is a nice sign. And I know he said earlier this year in interviews when he was promoting his latest film, The Way Back, that he was done with the Batman and he didn't want to come back and play the role. That was a part of his life that he didn't want to, to rehash again. But I guess he's in a better place now in his life where he does want to play the Batman again. And he's not just doing it for Zack Snyder. He's also making uh, an, an appearance in the new Flash movie with Ezra Miller, whatever kind of role that is, whether it's a supporting role, a cameo role, or becomes a, a more of a leading role in the film. I think the fact that he's warmed up to the idea of coming back to playing this character maybe bodes well for the future and what happens with the Snyder Cut if it does turn out to be a success, if they want to continue the storylines that are ahead after this miniseries, this, this project comes about. And one of the big questions as I wrap up this segment that Zack Snyder also touched on that nobody really reported on, and I think was one of the big questions when it came to gathering people back up again to shoot this additional photography, is you heard about Ben Affleck, Amber Heard, Gal Gadot. There were rumors that Henry Cavill was maybe coming back to do reshoots, but it seemed like that was more of a rumor. And even Henry Cavill himself confirmed that he wasn't coming back. Whether that's really true or not, we'll probably find out in the project. But one of the main Justice League members that you didn't hear anything new about was Ezra Miller coming back. And people were wondering, well, is Warner Brothers staying away from this? Is is Do they not need to shoot anything? Does Zack Snyder have everything he needs to with Ezra Miller? What's going on? And it turns out they actually did shoot some things with Ezra Miller, but because of his schedule in which he was Ezra Miller was already shooting Fantastic Beasts 3, he couldn't come in to do this additional footage because he's a main component to the Fantastic Beasts storyline, so it would probably be very difficult to fly him out from one place to another, especially in the day and age right now where we're in COVID, and you can't just fly somebody out to shoot some things and then fly them back. They have to quarantine, make sure that they test negative for the virus, and then probably go about shooting things. So it just wasn't viable in terms of actually statistically, and not even statistically, but strategically, it didn't really make any sense in just flying out there for a few hours and then flying him back and quarantining for all that time. It made no sense. So instead of doing that, it seemed like they set up a bunch of monitors and a Zoom call and people that were on the Warner Brothers shoot of Fantastic Beasts worked on these on this little these pickup shots that they wanted with Ezra Miller. And Zack Snyder had a few monitors that apparently were implemented in his household that he was able to watch over Zoom. So basically he was kind of doing a virtual shoot during the Fantastic Beast set and was able to get whatever pickup shots he needed with Ezra Miller. So that was, I think, really cool. And again, talks about filmmakers, creators thinking outside the box in this industry and what they need to do if, they're, if they can't really follow normal guidelines because of COVID right now. What can you do creatively that can get you what you need to do in the best way possible that looks the best and is able to be done strategically in a way 
and in a sophisticated way that people are able to be safe, but also get what they need to get done. And it sounds like they were able to do this with Ezra Miller. So that I think that sounded pretty cool. And, and overall, with everything that Zack Snyder is doing, it seems like, again, he has the vision for where he wants to go. He has an idea for where this can go from here, potentially, if this does turn out to be a success. And I just think whatever you might think about the Snyder Cut, whether it should happen, whether it shouldn't happen, I think the fact that he is getting a shot to do this, I think is is a nice story, especially for where Zack Snyder began with this whole journey and where he's now ended up and everything that has been done in his name and in his family's name to make sure that this does come about by the fans, I think is a really good story. And I'm, I'm interested and intrigued to see what Zack Snyder does with this film because even in his director's cuts for a lot of his films from Watchmen to BVS they improve on the film but they don't make it great movies and I think with something like a Justice League I think because everything was shot so differently and everything was kind of reshot basically one wonders is this film going to be it probably will be better than the the theatrical Justice League that came out, but is it going to be that much better? And I'm wondering if people who weren't fans of BVS and even maybe Man of Steel are going to be fans of what Zack Snyder does with Justice League. And again, he even says it where he doesn't care about all the noise from people that are criticizing his films. It's for the fans. And this really has become a fan-led project. The fans created this thing, which is being celebrated tomorrow in the release, the Snyder Cut anniversary, where on November 17th, a lot of fans gathered together on social media and basically created this in, this trending storm for release the Snyder Cut, which not just got Zack Snyder involved, but it also had the main stars of the film speaking out for it, such as Gal Gadot and Jason Momoa, and even Ben Affleck tweeted his support of releasing the Snyder Cut. Basically, a year from today, or a year from tomorrow, is really when this all kind of came to a, a, a collision, and it seemed like it kind of greenlit the Snyder Cut, and Warner Media had no choice but to greenlight this thing and put it into production. So, I think it's a great story to hear that Zack Snyder is putting in more additional footage, whether it is four to five minutes or less or more, I think is a good thing. And I think adds to the vision. And again, if he needs it, then let him do it. It's just the pickup shots that he needs to do. But again, I do agree in the fact that for people that are saying, well, it was finished, it was done, they just need to put it out there, this does prove, and over the course of the month since it was announced that Justice League was coming out again from Zack Snyder, it has just kind of proven more to the point that this really was not done. This is something that that was a first, second draft maybe of a film that still had a lot of work to get to the end of the finish line. And I think we're seeing now that there there's a lot more to it, and Zack Snyder was able to add more to it and again having carpe blanche that not a lot of directors have even when they're given second chances at films a lot of directors don't get that and zach is able to kind of do this free reign not have any test screenings it sounds like he's going to be getting for this he's just going to make it put it out and let people experience it for themselves and judge what they think about it on their own viewing experience so what do you guys think about this news about this update from zach snyder regarding his cut of justice league let me know what you think down below and leave your thoughts and then moving over from the comic book world to the world of award season over the weekend there was a full-on reaction onslaught for the brand new netflix film 
Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. And it stars the one and only Viola Davis, and also it stars the late, great Chadwick Boseman in this film and it's definitely has the 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 credence it has the background it has the aura of an award season contender and this is coming from netflix so netflix has a lot on their plate right now and it seems like ma rainey's black bottom is a worthy addition to put on the plate of netflix's award slate contenders going forward and a lot of people were able to see Ma Rainey's on Saturday, and they were able to tweet out their reactions on Twitter. And these are some of the reactions coming from the pundits, and a lot of it is universal praise for this film. So we're going to start with Clayton Davis, who's one of the awards leaders, the awards prognosticators at Variety. He had this to say about Ma Rainey, in which he said, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom has Chadwick Boseman unload every ounce of himself on screen. Everything he could, would offer cinema is entrenched in his levy. Viola Davis is magnificent, smaller role than expected. Adore Glenn Truman and want Oscars to know it too. Harry Nemiroff over at Collider said, Chadwick Boseman is electric in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, sizzling from start to finish, and has you hanging on his every word. And yep, Viola Davis is an absolute powerhouse. Mighty big fan of that dazzling cinematography from Tobias Schlesser, too. And Matt Naglia from Next Best Picture had this to say, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom is a dynamic adaptation of August Wilson's play with a vibrant cinematography, music, and costumes. Chadwick Boseman's swan song is his best with two stunning monologues that rank among some of the best ever. Viola Davis dominates the small screen and all in her path. Scott Mance says, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom is a triumph and a powerful film based on August Wilson's play. Knockout performances, Oscar noms assured for Viola Davis and Chadwick Boseman for his last film, which is dedicated to him. Also noms deserve for best adapted screenplay and best pick. And finally, over at Variety, once again, Angelique Jackson says, my oh my, how mad Magical Chadwick Boseman's work is in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. His performance as Levy is a legendary as you imagine to be. He and Viola deserve every bit of this Oscar talk that's been buzzing. So basically the bottom line from what it sounds like is Sherlock's across the board. It sounds like Best Picture, Best Screenplay sounds like there are locks for Adapted. And of course the acting seems like it's a lock at this point for a nomination with Viola Davis and Chadwick Boseman who's going to get a posthumous nominee it seems like. And it's even sounding more and more like not just that Chadwick Boseman could be nominated but he could win the whole damn thing beating out the likes of legends like Anthony Hopkins, Gary Oldman, Delroy Lindo who if you were to say if I had a top three minus Chadwick Boseman it's those three to get in for a nomination with that fifth slot being, as it usually is, being kind of the wild card for who could get in as well. But it sounds like Chadwick Boseman really, really puts on a display. And again, it's such a tragedy for what happened to him, dying from colon cancer and just kind of being so young and being so great at at what he does in the short amount of time that we knew him from playing Jackie Robinson in 42 to being in Get On Up to being in Black Panther 
into playing T'Challa and so much more that we never really kind of got to see him do anything else. We're never never going to see that talent displayed on screen after Ma Rainey's. So I would not be shocked if he really did end up winning. And if his, if his performance lives up to that expectation, he could become the third person to win a posthumous award. The last one being in 2008 when Heath Ledger won for playing the Joker in Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight. So this gets me really excited. And also to hear Viola Davis getting awards praise, no surprise, especially when she does exceedingly well in these August Wilson adaptations, specifically what she did in Fences in 2016 when she won her first Academy Award and also for winning a Tony for that same exact play in Fences. So it sounds like she knows this material well, the the dialogue and, and the script and, and the way that it is kind of equipped for her to do what she needs to do. It all kind of takes place in this isolated location, so it all hinges on the script. And if the direction is as good as it sounds as well, this could be a potential real heavy hitter for Netflix. And like a lot of things are going to be coming for Netflix right now, which ones are they going to prioritize? Are they going to prioritize Trial of Chicago 7 and Ma Rainey's? Are they going to prioritize the Five Bloods and Ma Rainey's or vice versa? And Mank, you also have to put into consideration The Prom is getting some awards buzz as well from Ryan Murphy, although I still put that in the Golden Globes category more so than getting serious Oscar talk. But still, there's so much contention. There's so many, there's so many titles for Netflix to consider. How are you really going to juggle all these films? Are you going to focus more campaigns for certain films and other films, specifically when it comes to Best Actor? Which one do they campaign more for? Do they campaign more for Delroy Lindo or do they campaign more for Chadwick Boseman, especially if they both get in for nominations? You're going to have to get one or the other. Are you going to make sure that Chadwick Boseman gets his due more than Delroy or what's going to be the case? And the same thing for Gary Oldman and for for Mank and, and for other films within their realm as well. So it seems like it's going to be the Netflix show this year at the Oscars, whether they win multiple Oscars, whether they capture the big prize in Best Picture or not, it's still going to be a big year for them and all eyes are going to be seen on what how they juggle all these different awards contenders because last year really when it came to the oscars they only had three this year they have at least four or five surefire bets that they're going to have to place into contention and prioritize in certain categories so again it's going to be interesting to see what they actually do but in terms of Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, I'm very happy to hear these reviews, these early reactions to the film, and especially to see Chadwick Boseman. And again, all eyes are going to be on his performance to kind of see the legacy that he left us in this film. And if people are saying it's it's a career best performance, that's sad because I think the same thing could have been said for, for Heath Ledger as well. And when I say that it's sad, it's not to say that, oh, that's sad that that's the best performance that he could give us when he has so many other great things. It's the fact that like Heath Ledger, their best performance was their last when they should have had more performances even after that. Heath Ledger could have been a superstar after the Joker, and Chadwick Boseman was really already a superstar, but he could have been so much more with what he could have offered us because of his diverse range of the the performances that he gave us. He didn't just give us one performance all the time in different characters he gave us such a wide variety of them that i think we're gonna miss that so much and it's it's gonna be sad to see him on screen but at the same time 
I think what the people on Netflix, the creators and the crew and cast of Ma Rainey's probably want us to do is celebrate that performance of Chadwick Boseman. I think that's what a lot of people are going to do with this film, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. What do you guys think about the reviews for this film? Let me know what you think down below and leave your thoughts. And then moving back over into the world of superheroes, specifically into the MCU. According to The Hollywood Reporter on Friday, it was reported that Chris Pratt has been rumored and in talks to reprise his role as Star-Lord in Thor Love and Thunder. This is, again, confirmed by The Hollywood Reporter, and it was really already kind of confirmed a few months ago when Vin Diesel, it seems like he let it out of the bag, that the Guardians of the Galaxy would be returning for Thor 4 in some kind of role, whether it's a a cameo in the beginning of the film or a more substantial supporting role throughout the film, they would have some kind of connection to the storyline of this latest edition in the Thor franchise, which makes a whole lot of sense, honestly, because when you look at where the ending of Avengers Endgame left these characters, they were all together on, a, well, not on a mission, but teaming up to go wherever they were going to go after leaving Earth in the end of Endgame. So one has to wonder, what kind of role does Chris Pratt have? Does this kind of mean that Chris Pratt has a bigger role in this film than some of the other Guardians might have, maybe, say, towards the beginning, maybe? Star-Lord has to find Thor during Thor Love and Thunder or maybe he goes back to Earth with Thor or maybe it's a buddy cop adventure with Thor and Star-Lord. So, and maybe he replaces kind of the the Loki character that we've seen in the in the first three Thor films. Plus, you can't forget that we also have Tessa Thompson coming back as Valkyrie. Natalie Portman is coming in to reprise the role as Shane Foster while also adding the mantle of Mighty Thor alongside of it for this Thor film. You also of Christian Bale coming in and what it's reported to be the kind of the main villain role of this film. And of course, you have Taika Waititi coming back, not just as Korg, but also behind the director's chair in kind of of navigating this entire project together while also creating the entire idea and being the main writer for the film. So Tyga's wearing a lot of hats, but to focus back on Chris Pratt, that's really where the question comes into play. Will he have a bigger role? Which I hope he does, because I think one of the great things about these films is that especially over the last few years, is that even though you have some of these team-ups happen, like in Thor Ragnarok with Thor and Hulk together, even though they tie everything together in the greater MCU, they make sure that even with characters in other films, they make it pertain to that main character's adventure in that film. That it's not just saying, oh, we're teasing already to the next great adventure. No, we're focusing on this one main story that is going on. And yes, it might have some connections to things down the line, But really, we're just focused on this main story. So if that's the case with Chris Pratt coming in, I have no problems with that whatsoever. And I also like the dynamic between Star-Lord and Thor. You saw it in Infinity War. You saw it at the end of Endgame when they're on the ship. I like that kind of back and forth between the two of them. These two macho guys fighting for leadership amongst this group. I know the the chemistry Thor has with Rocket, which was great. You you didn't really get to see a lot of it with with, with Drax or with Nebula or, or Gamora. You didn't really get to see because he only really had one or two scenes with them throughout the infi- the ending of the Infinity Saga with with War and Endgame. So I think if you're really trying to kind of highlight one main person that has chemistry with Thor, 
even though I thought Rocket and Thor, their dynamic was really cool, even in the two scenes that we see Star-Lord and Thorin together, I would love to kind of see that relationship develop in a film, and why not do it in Thor 4? Again, if it makes sense to fit it in the storyline, which it sounds like Taika was able to do, and again, it's more of a question of, is it just that Chris Pratt is confirmed for this film? Is he just kind of confirmed along with the other Guardians? Or if the other Guardians are coming in for just a little bit, maybe towards the beginning of the film, does Chris Pratt have a bigger role in Thor 4, Thor Love and Thunder? And only time will tell. Again, this film is still years and years away. It's going into production next year, so I'm sure we'll have a better idea for who's rounding out the cast, who's going to be in it, and where this film is going to go in the future because other than knowing that Jane is coming back as the mighty Thor we don't know anything else really about the film what the plot is where the adventure is going to go so we're kind of flying blind on this one no pun intended but to hear that Chris Pratt is coming back it's cool I'm all for it let's see where the adventure goes what do you guys think about Chris Pratt coming in to reprise his role of Star-Lord in this film let me know what you think down below and leave your thoughts And one of the final things that I want to talk about in the world of movie news is, again, according to The Hollywood Reporter and staying in the realm of Disney, it seems like the live action adaptation of Lilo and Stitch has found their director in the form of the one and only John M. Chu, who is going to have a big year next year if all goes correctly within the heights. He also directed the smash hit in 2018, Crazy Rich Asians. And John M. Chu is somebody who I think is great at bringing in a lot of inclusivity, diversity, bringing in more cultures. Again, we're gonna see that I think big time in in the heights, showcasing the Latino culture. You're gonna you saw it with the with the Asian culture and Crazy Rich Asians. And I think if he's able to kind of bring together the the Hawaiian culture in this film, I think that'd be really, really cool. It's still up in the air whether this is going to be a Disney Plus release or a theatrical release. And the producers behind this project were actually the producers that were behind the billion dollar hit of last year with Aladdin. And even though this is in the early stages of the pipeline right now, it hasn't really kind of officially been greenlit yet. There's no writer involved with it. So they're getting a lot of other people involved with it first before bringing on a writer, which is very interesting. But again, I think with somebody like a John M. Chu to kind of bring another popular film to light, I think it is very interesting. I think he's, again, the right director for this project. And for Disney... I think you're going to start to see them reach in the bag a little bit more with their films now that kind of their main their main pot of gold with their Disney live action retellings has kind of dried up a little bit. You've done Aladdin, which is a sequel to. You've done Lion King, which there is going to be a sequel to. You've done Cinderella. You're doing Little Mermaid soon. You have done Beauty and the Beast already. You've done Jungle Book. You've done a lot of the big hits that have made Disney what they are. So where else are you going to go? And I think when you look at the, the 2000s of Disney animation, there are some hidden gems in there 
there personally for me, but I, there's nothing that speaks on the volume of an Aladdin, Lion King, Beauty and the Beast. But one of those that really did kind of hit those heights in some fashion was Lilo and Stitch. The characters are still very well known today. You also had a lot of spinoffs within the movies, straight to DVD sequels. You had some television shows on Disney Kid Channels as well. So Lilo and Stitch is pretty popular, and I think you could get people to go to the theaters to watch it. Now, whether it's a musical, I, I don't think it will be. It did have it did have a soundtrack with it, but it wasn't a mu- movie musical like the Disney Renaissance was in the late 80s and 90s. So I think this is, again, a very interesting choice. I think it's the right choice, again, for the director. John Chu, again, does a great job in bringing out cultures within his films. And really, when you think about Lilo and Stitch, you think about the dynamic between a little girl and not really her pet, but what becomes her best friend in this alien. But also what fascinated me about the the original film was the Hawaiian culture and how it really integrated itself into it and showcased all these different aspects of living on the island of Hawaii, not as a tourist, but as actually a citizen that lives in these on these islands. So I thought that was really cool and I hope that's what he brings to the table with this film. So what do you guys think of the director, John M. Chu, coming in on board for Lilo and Stitch? Let me know what you think and leave your thoughts. And to wrap up the movie news section of this podcast today, I'm going to stick with Disney and go right from their theatrical slate to talking about what really has made them huge winners of 2020 in a year where a lot of businesses have really been failing due to the coronavirus and with disney plus again they have been hit really really hard but one area that they have shined really bright in is disney plus their latest streaming service which on thursday celebrated one full year active when you think about what has kind of transpired with disney plus since then you you now have two seasons of the mandalorian which is their biggest hit on the streaming service. You have a, a, a show about High School Musical, which takes on kind of the, the aura of High School Musical. You had Star Wars The Clone Wars. You had Hamilton come out in the summertime. You also had a few original films that you slated, like Stargirl, The One and Only Ivan, Timothy Failures. So it definitely hasn't had the huge success as I think when you think about the content that they could have, like some of the Marvel shows and even maybe some more Star Wars shows. But I think overall for one year, they knocked it out of the park really. And according to the new quarter report coming out from Disney, Bob Chapek announced that Disney Plus now has over 73 million subscribers to their streaming service, which far exceeds the projections they had of potentially 63 million viewers, not just in the year, but in the next four years. And they exceeded that in under 12 months, which is absolutely incredible. It is a huge success for the streaming service, and it's understandable for why they would want to put something like Mulan on there or Soul. And if they can't put it in theaters, they can put it on their streaming service and they can have some kind of success. Now, whether Mulan was a success or not, Bob Chapek wouldn't really confirm nor deny anything. He just said that they liked where the numbers were going, didn't really give an exact amount, and that the premier access strategy is something that they can see themselves going forward with in the future. So it sounds like we're not done with it anytime soon, whether that's speculation of bigger films like Black Widow or something along the lines of 
a Pixar film doing this as well. It I don't I don't know when that's going to happen, but or whether it will happen. But it seems like it is something that they are keeping their options open with. And again, I think for this company that hasn't had any theatrical films come out since March with Onward, hasn't had any kind of park service other than maybe people showing up in, in Walt Disney World and even around the world a little bit. It's a little tougher to do right now because places are closing down. Cases are spiking at an all time rate right now. And they're really failing as a business, except for this one little, little, little gem that is working for them right now. And I think they realize that. And I think the process of, of kind of integrating Disney Plus into really kind of being the main focal point of their company moving forward, that was sped up a little bit due to the timetable because of coronavirus. So I think we're kind of seeing a sped up process happen of really Disney focusing more on their streaming service than maybe their theatrical, which they're not moving away from anytime soon. They know that when the theaters are open and they're at full strength and people can go see films without having to worry about a public health crisis, their films get people's butts in the seats. We saw it last year. Nobody can forget what Disney did last year was record-breaking for how many films not just were box office successes but how many of them were billion dollar box office successes not just for one part of the year like in the summer or in the fall or in the spring but consistently from the beginning to the end with Captain Marvel and Avengers Endgame Toy Story 4 Lion King Frozen 2 Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker Aladdin in the summer those films did mega mega bucks and I think Disney knows that again if they're at fully operational health in the theater business that their films can do better than anybody else's and people will go to them if they know what they're getting themselves into with their films so even though they're making disney plus a main focal point i think they know where else that they can make their money as well and as long as they're making that kind of money they will keep all options on the table but in the end this is a historic incredible achievement for disney right now in what is considered to be the way the future with streaming services, Disney Plus is multiplying on that. And I'm not saying they're going to catch Netflix anytime soon because Netflix has years and years of leeway on them that they've ratcheted up a global subscription base that Disney Plus was did a great job in doing in their first year, but it's going to be a while for them to catch up to Netflix. But I think the hype that Disney Plus could be the main competitor to Netflix in the fight for subscribers is turning out to be that way and I think that's going to be the case for many many years to come and this is just starting to scratch the surface of the potential for Disney Plus as a streaming service the only thing that they really kind of had to get going is getting more content on their service because I think in the beginning it was great to kind of see all the, the library that they had with with the vault of Marvel films Star Wars films the older Disney shows older Disney movies but I think that can kind of grow old after a while I think we're, what we're starting to see with streaming services is especially in a day and age where people want new content they're stuck at home quarantining or they're stuck in lockdown they want new stuff to binge they want new stuff to consume and I think with Disney Plus I think they're slowly going to start doing that in the future but for this past year even though there were some really cool things it wasn't consistent enough you did have the Mandalorian and High School Musical the musical the series and a few other things in the beginning but then 
in the winter there was a little lull period and then you had star wars the clone wars come out which kind of whetted the appetite a little bit for star wars fans and then you kind of went on a little bit of a lull didn't have anything consistent for about the the end of spring beginning of the summer and then you had the big shebang of hamilton coming out in july and then it kind of fell off a little bit until really the mandalorian picked it back up in october so if you're able to kind of consistently have something come out where mandalorian season two is going to end you have like a week or two off and then wandavision's coming out in the beginning of january and then after wandavision you have something else coming out you get that consistency going where people are going to want to come back and come back and say oh you know what disney's putting out some new stuff i want to see it i'm really into it while also accessing the rest of the content library as well so if they're able to consistently put out stuff like netflix does whether it's good or bad they're always putting out new content that's what i think is going to drive the subscription base up for disney plus more than even what they have right now but even though it is it is an historical number for them in the record that they made it in it was it was very inconsistent at some points and i think the one thing they should work on and i think they know that they need to work on it is the consistency of putting out new stuff when you advertise the kind of stuff that you're advertising on that subscription base. So I think overall, this is a great day, but some things to work on in the future, and I think Disney is working on it with Disney+. Plus. What do you guys think about this Disney Plus report coming out and saying what it's saying, that 73 million people have subscribed to Disney Plus overall. Let me know what you think about it down below and leave your thoughts. I'd love to know what you guys think. And that's going to end it with the movie news section. And we're going to gear towards the end of the podcast right now to a little review that I want to discuss and talk about and I highly recommend. And that is the new Netflix show that came out last week. It's called Dash and Lily. It is a holiday rom-com miniseries. No, not miniseries. It's a series that could potentially have more seasons down the line. But really, the premise of the show is about two people, Dash and Lily, who kind of meet each other through this notebook. And they don't really interact with each other throughout the entirety of the show. They just know each other through exchanging through this book. It's kind of like exchanging through text messages, but they do it in in the sequence of dares to one another. They allow each other to open up with, with one another. And Lily is somebody who loves Christmas, adores it. It's her favorite time of year. And Dash is somebody who's a little bit more closed, a little bit more of an introvert. And both of them really kind of bring something out in one another. And it blossoms into this love story that occurs. And, and Dash and Lily doesn't do anything spectacular it doesn't change anything it doesn't kind of reinvent the wheel per se however i think this is such an adorable rom-com series right now that i think it's exactly what people need at this moment in time especially with the holidays rolling around it kind of just distracts your mind from a lot of things that are going on right now and especially if you're somebody who loves New York City and New York City is, is a place where it's not as vibrant as it would be at this time of year because of COVID. I think it can kind of bring you back to a blast in the past in a little bit and it just kind of can be just this kind of turnoff for people in which people can just enjoy something and it can be a guilty pleasure and just something you can enjoy and just have fun with and that's exactly what Dash and Lily does. It's very inclusive and diverse. It has it features a predominantly gay couple in the story and doesn't really kind of take any issue with it whatsoever. It's just natural and progressive. It also features really different diverse backgrounds in Lily's background and other friends of Dash's and Lily's as well. Well, it, it, it features so many different holidays, but in the end, it is 
a holiday show. It is a Christmas show, a holiday show that features, I think, a really good love story. And the chemistry between Dash and Lily, even just through the conversations that they have, is incredible. And, and, and I think it showcases the great direction, but also the great performances by the cast who really stand out. The, the actor and actress who play Dash and Lily are incredible. And the chemistry is just exquisite, even though it's just really through this notebook. And the storyline, I think it is is really, really good. And especially in the way that they showcase Dash's point of view at one point, and then they connect that to Lily's point of view in the same thing back and forth. And I think for a very tight half an hour show it works very well and it's only i believe it's eight episodes and and they're all under 30 minutes really it's like a half an hour show without the commercials it goes by really fast you can finish it in a day and again it doesn't reinvent the wheel but i think it does exactly what it needs to do it's a fun enjoyable rom-com through, through television on Netflix that if you're a couple, I think you will enjoy. If you're somebody that is just looking for some holiday new holiday cheers, new shows to watch, this is one of them that I recommend. So definitely when you get a chance, check out Dash and Lily. It is a lot of fun. It's really enjoyable. And honestly, I will have to say, for somebody who doesn't watch a lot of these shows, I enjoyed it a whole lot. And I would love another season because I think the characters are just so incredibly interesting and the storylines that they leave it off with definitely open the door for more seasons to come and I am all for that and if they do have more seasons I will be one of the first ones to watch it and I'm not afraid to admit that I will be watching more Dash and Lily so I highly recommend it it's on Netflix again eight episodes under half an hour easy binge. You can watch it in a day. I think just get a lot of holiday cheer out of it, which is, I think, what a lot of people need right now, which is why the holidays are such a great time of the year all the time. And I think this year more so than ever, it's going to be a great distraction from everything that is going on in the country and around the world right now. So if you have seen Dash and Lily, let me know what you think about it. Leave your thoughts in the comment section. I really like to know what you think and let me know your thoughts below. But with that down and out of the way, that will do it for this edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast. Everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. As always, be sure to check out my channel for more content. You can check me out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, SoundCloud, and much more. Also, make sure to tune in onto the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. And be sure to check out the other amazing shows that are on there, such as You Mad Bro, the number one source to see what the internet is pissed off about on a weekly basis. Also, check out goal-driven professionals geared toward improving client relations, return on investment, and customer acquisition costs for independent businesses and services. Also, check out The Daily Grind, a weekly motivational podcast with Kelly Johnson giving you everyday tips and key takeaways on reaching your goals. Along the way, also check out these other awesome shows on the podcast solutions, such as Wrestle Attic Radio, Fretzelmania Podcast, and Midnight Showing. You can check these out and so much more on the website, ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com, also on Facebook and Twitter at Real Ambiguous. And if you want to check out Canopy Treehouse, use the coupon code AMBIGUOUS. Also, when you get a chance, make sure you follow me on social media. You can find me on Twitter at Bissell Samuel, that's B-U-S-S-E-L-L-S-A-M-U-E-L, and on Facebook at Sam Bissell. Thank you guys again so much, and until next time, keep on screening.